And we're back. And we're still black. Or even blacker-ish. And we're back with our favorite guest friend of the podcast, Floyd Kane. A name name for a much more aggressive (laughs) individual than what is. Friend of the podcast. I've been dying for that label. (laughs) Uh, That's Petula's assertion, not mine. (laughs) He's just your friend. He's a... A, what do you call it? Like a, an acquaintance, an acquaintance of the podcast? An acquaintance of the podcast? Yeah, no, yeah. I'm a friend of the podcast. A person of interest? <laughs> <laughs> Only if he's driving in America. <laughs> so what have you been up to, Floyd? I didn't get to connect with you during the festival. I had a busy schedule of late night movies and drinking. I saw, you know, 21 movies. I got to see Glenn Close do a great master class session. Did you get to go to the... What? The guy who used to have the show after the Daily Show, whose name I can't remember now because I've been drinking. Trevor Noah? No. The other guy. Larry Wilmore. Did uh-huh. you get to see his No, friend? I didn't get to see Larry. Uh, Unfortunately, I love Larry. I listen to his podcast every week. Yeah. About how long do those uh, last for? Um, hour 10. Mm. Hour 20. Interesting. You looking to steal trade secrets? <laughs> no, I just know you like a, pod- a long podcast. I sure do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's a bit of a size queen with his podcast. Like, mm-hmm. so we may go long tonight. <laughs> we may go long tonight, listener. We'll we'll see what's up. Uh, but uh, Mel, you also attended. Did you do your usual ninety uh, percent Ryerson scheduling? No, actually, the majority of movies I saw this year happened to be at the Princess of Wales, uh, which had um, so this year uh, both. Uh, Roy Thompson Hall, which I guess probably always had had a side seating, um, and Princess the Wales had a side seating, which I I railed against at first, and then um, my seats were actually pretty okay, so was I was like, so I was actually okay with, with with the assigned seating. It wasn't a bad thing because they have really nice sight lines in that theater, and so I think it's a, it was it was lovely, says Grandpa. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I actually uh, I, I saw three films there. I think I only saw one. I only saw one movie at the Ryerson, I think. Um, Professor Marsden and the Wonder Woman was the one that we had together at yeah. the uh, Princess of Wales. Yeah, and I got upgraded. I was uh, sitting a little bit further back, and uh, one of the extras comes up right before the movie starts and says, uh, do you guys want to come up? Row 5 has opened up. And we're like, yes. And then we got there, and Row 5 hadn't quite opened up, or it was taken, so then we got put in Row 8. But yeah, it was. Uh, it's never happened to me in the history of TIFF was getting upgraded on a seat. But we saw downsizing together there, too. Yeah. Yeah, so you saw more than one. No, no, no. I saw one at Ryerson. This story is so boring. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I only saw one at Ryerson. But typically, I saw none of the Elgin or the Winter Garden. But because I live so close to the Elgin and Winter Garden and Ryerson, I tend to pick movies that are close. Uh, but this year, just it was more um, things that fit in my schedule. And because my selection window was so shitty, it was, I think, probably... It was August it's the first. equivalent of like last box. Yeah, so I really didn't have a lot of options, so I had to make it work. Um, but the Princess of Wales is it's close to work, and I had a lot of movies at six o'clock um, on weekdays, which was perfect for me. I just walked from work, so um, yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't. What was the question? I don't even remember. Assigned seating. How did we feel about it? I struggled initially. I did see one gentleman do what I knew some jerks would do, which is he just sat down where he wanted to sit, and yeah. then not once, not twice, but thrice did he do the whole, oh, am I in the wrong seat, as like, people came and looked for their seat. And that, that is a challenge of you're rolling up just as the movie's starting. Yeah. 
because you might think, oh, they've given my seat to rush person and not just this asshole who decided to sit there and cross his fingers and hope that you either showed up late or not at all. So I think they're still going to need to work on that. And then again, I still saw people on the last Saturday rolling up to Scotiabank and seeing seat numbers and being confused and thinking that yeah, reserve well, that's, seating that's always was, going to be the problem. But the one thing I will say in Tiff's favor, though, is that <laughs> I think what they figured out with the assigned seating venues is they hold the tiff, the rush line until the actual time of the screening so they don't open it up 15 minutes beforehand and you end up get, getting your seats giving away, given away. Yeah. Because when I, I actually, on the, the second week of the festival, I, my policies always show up at the time or later in the screening. And you just go right in. They t- I was taken straight to my seat. It was no problem. So, so one of the other festival nerds I know, Bob, actually tweeted that he was locked out of a screening with like 20 other people. Really? Because this... they rolled up like maybe like just as it was starting, maybe five minutes before. But they like let in too many people from the rush line. And oh. then people who were actual ticket holders could not get in. So I've never had that happen. Well, what I, I think it was something Lucy. I don't know what the movie name was. But yeah, he tweeted, he's like, I guess I'm going to drink on a patio for the next two hours because I can't get into my movie. Well, what I did notice at the Princess of Wales, because there was assigned seating, there were huge blocks of seats that were left open for, uh, for the rush line. So I don't know how they assigned seating, but whatever they did, they must have done it in sections so that the last section, although sometimes the last section was a better seat than people were actually in. Yeah. And then all the rush people came in at once, but they all were seated in the same section, so it was actually pretty seamless. It wasn't. It, it wasn't as disruptive as it as it could have otherwise been. And let's be honest. I mean, if you're like if you're talking about a second or third screening of a movie, I mean, especially in that second week, especially post Tuesday, you can like. I mean, essentially. I think that's what was so crazy. This, this was the thing that was so shocking to me, is how barren some of the screenings were. Mm-hmm. Like that surprised me, and I and I don't know like. I'd love to see what the TIFF attendance numbers are. The real numbers. For, for, this, for, for this time, because I, I've never been to a, a TIFF screen, a third screening of a TIFF film, an American film, where it hasn't been full, sold out, packed. I mean, I went to see three billboards outside of Ebbing's, Missouri, on the second screening, mm-hmm. which was on the, like, the Tuesday. Maybe we were in the same screening for that. Uh, at the at the Princess of Wales. Yeah. Yeah, and I showed up just as they were doing all those ads were running, and there were lots of seats. I was put in the row with the seat where that I was assigned initially when I bought the ticket. There was nobody else in that row. I was actually wow. I was kind of astonished because I'm not used to that at TIFF. Yeah. And I was actually, I work with somebody who's a, who's a diff goer, and she mentioned the same thing. I think she was in that same screening, and she was surprised that three billboards won because the audience wasn't full, so she didn't think that there would be enough people to cast votes um, based on the second screening. So, but it was a very enjoyable film. It was I, very I love it. It was my favorite film. I did tweet like halfway through, I think this may have been my favorite. Like, yeah. even and, before and I the finished. audience was so engaged. I mean, it was, it was, it's actually a perfect theatrical experience. In my opinion. And probably the last... I mean, it's been a really long time since, at least in my opinion, there's been a true consensus film at TIFF. I mean, 
I know you're going to say, like, oh, what's that stupid movie with the people dancing in the Bollywood? You know what I'm talking about. Slumdog. Yeah. Uh, but probably not since then. There's, But this was the first year where, in a very long time, where everybody who I know, and actually it's interesting, it's almost everybody I know who went to the festival saw three billboards, and everybody had the same reaction to it, which I think is, it hasn't happened for so long, um, which, you know, probably says a lot about the film. Can we talk about this... The diversity padding on the back, re, the whole female filmmaker thing. I mean, I did see a lot of uh, lady directors on the stage. It wasn't it a third of, the, of, of directors yeah. uh, were, were female this year. So yeah. what, what are your thoughts on that? I'm curious. I mean, I enjoyed that in as much as that's one of the criteria that normally goes into my selection process, where uh, I look at the criteria around like do they even have distribution yet or is it just a sales agent listed then I know okay I'm seeing something that I might not see right away yeah. in the theater on Netflix I look at is there any kind of color above the title behind the camera I look at is there any kind of a gene or identify as uh, whatever behind or in front above the title so that goes into my selection process so it was kind of nice in a year especially where I was much less excited about all the selections in general that I didn't have to put the kind of lady filter on and I found that I had more than usual Mm -hmm. organically like even some movies that I saw I forgot had a female director like I picked it because of the premise or what it was about or like I was like ah another movie with all white people like oh I forgot that Professor Marsden had a lady of color director. I yeah. had no idea. And I was like pleasantly surprised when she came out on stage. I was like, this is great. Yeah. And I saw a movie that was directed by a Maori woman. Um, and I'll never, first of all, it will never, ever happen again. Um, and it was a series of eight vignettes. They weren't all perfect, but there were some really good um, short films in it. And... Yeah, like, it, but this is what a film festival is for. Like, you know, we've typically they, they done kind city of picked to a city. theme and kind yeah, of like, they rode like, that horse. It's no different yeah. than city to city. It's no different than like there used to be a time where they would like spotlight a particular country. So one year it was Spain. I see this is no different. Like it, the fact that there are theme female directors, um, actually. So they're actually well, yeah. So there, it's not necessarily a theme, but there's a focus. So why not have it be about female? filmmakers, which I think is, is to me, is more interesting than having a country be in focus. Yeah. I, I think what's really, I mean, what I would say, and, you know, I'll take, it's not a different, I'll take a slightly different tack, is that, you know, if the diversity is real, I'm all for it. But I don't want, like, what I don't want is I don't want people to go, oh, wow, look what we did this year. Slap, slap, slap on our back. Hmm. And then, like, next year, it's like, you know, or five years from now, it's back to same old, same old. I mean, you know, the, the reality is, I mean, I've been in a lot of rooms, you know, and, and, and this is, I don't think I'm telling tales of the school, where the decision maker has been a woman, and the producer or showrunner or the production company have been trying to get a female director to direct the pilot, direct the film. And the dis- female decision maker has been the one saying, no, they're not right for this. Because, well, it's an action movie or it's an action, a pilot that has a lot of action in it. 
You know, it's like, it's not a family show. So, so for me, like, I mean, I love the fact that more women are getting to tell their, the, 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 stor- the stories, like, forget about their stories. Mm-hmm. They're getting to tell stories, period. Because I'm a, I'm a huge fan of female filmmakers. Like, you know, I feel like some of the, the, some of the best films I've seen at TIFF have been, you know, a female filmmaker telling a story. Um, you know, so, so for me, it's like, you know, I'm all for it. I just feel like it's about just making sure that this is, we're not doing this because, well, it's a hot topic right now, that we're actually focused on real change within the industry because... And it's not just a campaign to make it easier to ask people for money over and over and over and over again. Oh, they kept on emailing me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those share her journey emails have been, like, super aggressive. And I don't know if they're actually using any um, kind of targeting campaign management behind the scenes. Like, am I getting more emails because because they know I'm a woman and because they know I'm a color? Yeah. are they just blasting everyone? Yeah. They're blasting everybody. Yeah. I, I, but, I, I mean, I'll have to be honest. I don't even know what that campaign is really about. Like You're supposed they, to share her journey. Because yeah. because, because the reality, like, like, for example, I mean, you know, it's like there are filmmakers who they're touting as being their folk who they their film showed at TIFF after it was at, like, three or four film festivals. They happen to be Canadian... They had like they didn't even show up for their screening and their movie. Their movie was on a Wednesday during the festival, which was, which is essentially the dead zone, of the festival. So, I'm, honestly, I'm I'm trying to. Like. That's the one like with me. The one thing I don't I don't like is I don't like and this is just about the industry generally, is, bullshit is like, bullshit like I don't like. I'm just not, I'm not about any of that. But here's what I will say, and this happens all the time. Oh, yeah, so you gave Halle Berry an Oscar and you think the work is done? Clearly it's not, but... (laughs) Clearly it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you went to see that Halle Berry movie, so... Sorry, I I just have to, a small aside. I was at the gym last night, and I was actually thinking about how Halle Berry's whole career has been about picking up... Uh, Angela Bassett's seconds, and then working out. So 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 Angela and getting lucky and and getting lucky. Angela Bassett was offered Monsters Ball, turned it down because of the nudity. (laughs) Uh, She was offered X Storm, turned and and turned. Oh God, she would have been a great. She was always supposed to be Storm. I mean, we all know this. Like any (laughs) anywho, back to what I was saying. Yes. Finally well, thank she, God she said yes to Black she Panther. Is in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> We're very excited about Black Panther, listeners. Oh, God, I've seen February, I'm going to see that movie. From the day it comes out, I'm going to see it every week. I'm going to see it in week. January. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... No, they're not, it's not coming out until Black History Month. We I know, but I'm, but, I'm so, <laughs> but I'm so excited about it. Um, no, but what I will say is that, like, it's... And I understand what you're saying, but when people say, well, they've given us this, but... You know what? The fact that they put the focus on female filmmakers and they don't do it again ever, it happened now. So there's just like last year was super black between the yeah. combination of uh, the Lagos being the last city to city before they got rid of that program, Nigeria, mm-hmm. 
And it seemed like there was way more. It was almost Planet Africa level programming in the rest of the book. Like last year, the festival was like, I didn't have to struggle to find movies with people of color in front or behind the camera or movies uh, from other places that were actually good. Like Kati Kati that I saw from somewhere else in Africa, I can't remember, it was like a legit, no, like really high good. concept good movie and I don't think I would have ever seen that movie on a big screen in a theater without the Toronto Film Festival. There's some really great film coming out of Africa. Yeah. There's no question. I mean, like, it's it's fascinating to me how I mean, to be honest, I mean, I I feel like I'm more focused, just because I'm in this world, I'm more focused by the lack of support that TIFF and not just TIFF, it's actually, it, it actually emailed one of the, Barry uh, Hertz, who's the critic for the Globe and Mail, I actually emailed him about this, because I'm fascinated by the lack of support yeah. and like, did they, attention for black filmmakers. Did they review Royal Hibiscus Hotel? Because that is now the second movie from the same producer, exec producer, this woman, Mo, and I don't remember her last name, who they basically call like, you know, Nigerian Oprah. Uh, who's like their kind of big producer like she was the woman that brought the wedding party last year and she was also with Royal Hibiscus Hotel this year and oh my god her outfit I can't even you can see it on my yeah, Insta how, how and those films are being... well wedding party actually made it to Netflix it's on like even Canadian yeah, Netflix no. but, but I mean, like I mean, but remade. did the... it's North American remakes yeah I mean they are I mean it, Royal Hibiscus Hotel was very shop around the corner slash you got mail slash whatever so it's almost like a it's already reverse been re- remake it is a remake yeah meaning that it was it took its inspiration from something you know, else but the movies you guys just mentioned they don't have black they're not yeah black films yeah so why isn't there a Tyler Perry version of it as opposed well, to Nigeria. Tyler so everybody suggesting that, that there's a white movie uh, of it? Somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. So, but what are you suggesting that there's a that there's like a, a black movie, American movie there's a black of it? Yeah, or a white. I mean, or no, a white I'm just I'm just saying like it's like there has not there's why not make a North American remake of all of these African properties? Yeah. Like last year, there were like a ton of films out of Lego set on the paper. They're very interesting stories, mm-hmm. and yes, the, the accents and whatnot. Then why remake not translate. I, I'm a very I. Hate I know you're against remakes, remakes. but you know what? You know. Especially if, if it's an English language film and it happens to have black people. I'm um, sorry, live with it. I assume that yeah, like there, there, film there, was there was eighty percent. There's like yeah. some subtitles, but like, like yeah, I don't care if somebody needs to have it. Uh, North Americanized in order for it to be palatable. The movie's not for them if that's what they need. I will say that the cast for this movie was like above average attractive. If anything, you really don't need to remake it. They were very good looking. Remake this. Yeah, they were very attractive. Oh, but if they were ugly, they actually should have remade it. I mean... (laughs) But yeah, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm... Listener, I'm showing a picture right now that's not helpful. I may actually just make this the background oh, picture no, for the posting lovely. today. Yes, 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 yes. But yeah, and it's funny uh, when when I posted this, one of my friends like she's looking right at you, and I didn't realize it when I was taking the picture multiple times. But it was one of those things of whenever I feel like women with uh, our haircuts see each other on the street. <laughs> There's the who's doing it better, and obviously she's doing it better. <laughs> I, I, just, I just actually saw So that's a Nigerian Oprah there. She, her outfit last year for a wedding party was equally ridiculously awesome. Yeah. I, I just actually saw uh, 
Well, I mean, they're allowed. Getting, getting off the subway. Yeah, they're starting to do it too. But I feel like it's less of a commitment because they can grow it back a lot faster. And they're in between stages a lot less expensive in terms of maintenance. But that's all I have to say about that. But yeah, other changes this year. Uh, The website last year was... I did hard tickets and Mel did all mobile because uh, she has (laughs) faith that I don't have. This year again, I went for hard tickets and I was glad because I feel like if anything... They saw that it was almost stable last year and appeared to have either spent less, tested less, or did less to make it um, in terms of hardening and performance. So I found everything said. on the web. I was going to say, you, you, sound like, you sound like you're selling like Cialis or something. <laughs> Hardness and performance. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd say in because terms of every, everything from... Uh, ticket purchase to voting on the app, I'd say across the board compared to last year, crashy as fuck, as I said to a stranger on the internet when they were asking, how do I vote? Like, I tried three times to vote once, and I would hit the vote, and then the app just, like, disappeared, and I had to, like, restart all my phone. You used the app? And it happened to other people, too. I talked to a few strangers on the internet about that. So, in terms of the online experience this year, did you guys see same, better, different? Other, other than getting an email, like, two weeks before I'm supposed to do my ticketing, saying, you're locked out of, your account is locked. <laughs> it was all good. <laughs> no, I always buy, I always get the hard tickets. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't trust the online I, shit. Forget it. I did online ticketing, and... Um, I don't remember this experience last year, and keep in mind also I had like a late window, so I went to do my ticket fulfillment on the app, and for some of my tickets I was able to put them in my wallet, for others it said um, that I was unable to, and I freaked out, so I, because uh, I knew there was an issue with the, with the website crashing, so I was on hold for a year, list- yeah, I was getting, it was actually an hour, but it felt like a year listening to the Django on Chain Soundtrack. Um, <laughs> they really need to change that hold music. It's not even, it's not even, a, it's all static. Not that I want to listen to the stupid soundtrack, but I it's don't awful. Want, there's so many soundtracks. Like, why Django? Ugh. I find it's like a little good. bit, um, I just, I'm not a fan of slavery pulling. And, and after getting through to somebody who uh, worked at the box office, I was told that her manager told her that it should be okay on the 4th, <laughs> at which point I hung up with absolutely no faith. But sure enough, on the 4th, I was able to do it, but there was no no one could explain to me why I could uh, fulfill some tickets and not others. Um, and there's nothing on the website. So there's, uh, I don't know. It was definitely worse than last year, though. It was, because last year I was surprised at how easy it was. Yeah, you were crowing about, oh, yeah. like, everything's fine, just did the mobile, whatever. Well, this year, I, was I printed almost... out tickets this year. I printed out hard tickets yeah. in addition to having um, my tickets on my uh, on my app. Yeah, I didn't trust it. I had even other people. I was talking to some people in the slow line leaving Princess of Wales about things crashing as well, and they were like, yeah, I had the same experience, and like either trying to use the app or even trying to show your ticket at the last minute it would crash. So it just seemed to be less robust than previous years. I, I, I feel like part of me feels like it's internalized racism. We're just, we just know that if we don't have that ticket in our hands, yeah. there's always that risk someone's going to say, 
Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. You're not getting in here. Exactly. <laughs> well, listen, even going into the Scotiabank once again, this year I had that same experience where you see many other people breezing by because, yes, you're supposed to wait in line outside, but honestly, not to spill too much tea, but it was, you know, not a great time of the month for me to have the festival fall. And I didn't want to have to like tell some. It's not tea we're spilling necessarily. <laughs> right. I didn't want to have to tell some random orange shirt. Listen, sir, it's a murder scene in my pants right now. I need to use the bathroom. <laughs> so I'm trying to just get up to use the bathroom before my movie, and you know, I'm ten here, people I'm breeze by, and I'm and I'm the one that stopped, and I'm just thinking. And then these two girls on the elevator in front of me, who also their movie was not boarding or whatever, they were just heading up to the bar. They were sort of musing, oh, they never even stopped me. And I was like, yeah, I always get stopped. And they looked back at me and they're like, why? And I just looked at them. And then they had that moment. Sometimes it takes people a little less time to figure stuff out. But just like last year when they did the upstairs, downstairs thing at the Elgin, where they had the seating that wasn't assigned by number, but you, your ticket was marked if you were like the main floor of the balcony. And anytime I went to the main floor, which I always was main floor because of my level of membership, I still always got the check and other people that I was with didn't. And I'm just like, yes, it's sort of, you know, helping you identify which volunteers might have a good career in law enforcement. But (laughs) I just, that's why I have hard tickets. I have a great story. So I have an industry pass. Yeah. And the, the way it's supposed to work with the industry pass, I think I told you this, is that you go, you, on the day of the screening. Oh, yeah. You go to the box office at the theater where your movie's showing, and show your pass, you get your ticket. So I'm heading there to go see Mudbound, which is playing at 11 o'clock. I heard that was fabulous. It's coming to Netflix. At the Eglinton. The Elgin, the Elgin Theater. Okay. So I arrive, there's a huge long lineup for like some other movie. So this lineup is going in. This is my second time being at the theater being told the box office was closed the first time, second time I come back. So I'm walking to go to the box office to get my ticket. This older white gentleman... They always find you, too. They hone in um, on you. Looks at me and says, what's wrong with you people? He didn't mean industry past people having their phone on in movies, did he? No, he didn't. (laughs) Why are you butting in line? I'm like... And I looked, at, and at first it didn't register with me that this person was even talking to me. Yeah. Because I know where I'm going. I'm going to the box office. I'm yeah. not going into the theater. So I turned, I finally realized, I'm like, are you talking to me? And I, I said, I'm going to... And this to was the- an orange shirt, not a headset. This, no, 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 this, this, is, not a, this like is a, a patron. Uh, patron. Oh! So I wish I, motherfucker I, So I turned to the guy, I'm like... How dare you say I'm, This is where I'm going. I'm going to the box office. I'm not going in the theater. And then he, like, did his, like, little, like, shivering oh. thing, like, and then, like, walked, and then walked off in the theater. And then, of course, I go to the box office. Oh, then no, you can't get a ticket here. <laughs> we, we don't have a float. What the fuck does a float have to do with printing a ticket? Yeah. But a float, isn't a float for cash? What do you yes, need a float for? Yes, exactly. It just was the weirdest thing. So, at, and long story short. Too late. Yeah, I know. 
I didn't go see the movie. <laughs> oh no! Which pisses me off because, of course, I want to see Mary J. Blige. Yeah. I'm, think, I'm, try, I'm trying to figure out what the, the complexion of the Oscar nominees are going to look like. Yeah. This no, I, I heard Mudbound was, was amazing. Yeah, I hear yeah. Mary J. Blige rock the house in yeah. Mudbound, so I'm curious. I, I can't. I, I've never seen her act except in a. Apple commercial. It's yeah, funny. She's, so been, she's been in How to Get Away with Murder. She's I, been in nope, Scandal. I haven't seen these. I, I know Empire. I had a couple uh, Caucasian friends tell me about that, and they were like, D. Reese, and they're telling me about Pariah like it's news to me, and I was like, this is great. Yeah. I'm glad that you caught up. It was kind of like when I saw Middle of Nowhere and had like my, you know, moment with Ava where we had our selfie that she took and then retook because she has to direct even that. And she was all, oh no, sister, we can do better. And then like, <laughs> and then she blew up after that and then people were telling me about her after Selma. It's like, yeah, she sounds great. So. I was there. Yeah. Not that I'm responsible for her or for Barry Jenkins. No. But I was also there for that black and white film. Oh, Medicine kids. for Melancholy? Medicine for Melancholy. God damn, that movie was good. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like such like we a... We were there. Such a black hipster when I talk about seeing the movie before the movie. Yeah. But yeah, it was one of those things with her as well. But yeah, Mudbound this year was very much that, where people were talking about, oh yeah, this director, I think she directed something before. And then <laughs> you start to get into the whole, you know, talk of lighting for black people and whatever, which I do like that that is a conversation. And I definitely saw a difference in... Some films where you could tell the cinematographer at least, you know, went for, uh, you know, a Bradford Young conference or like had some kind of like information on how to light black people. Because well, I, think I Bradford would say for, Young has changed that conversation. He's I mean, changed he's, the game and he's also sharing the information. But, but he's open sourcing sort of for other DPs and cinematographers like this is how you light not just people of color, but people in like other environments and lighting and whatever. But I also fucking love that. Bradford Young is not just like like I I love on some level that he's he he is a cinematographer for everything. Yeah. He's not he the industry has not ghettoized him as he's the guy you go to when you have black people in your movie. He just does tons of shit. No, he just makes shit look beautiful. And, and he's he's an amazing cinematographer. Like, yeah. That that is one of my goals to have him on a film. That would be amazing because yeah, I really feel like that was one thing that I noticed this year. Movies that did have people color in them, they didn't all look terrible. <laughs> Whereas in the past, it's like even the first trailer for Black Panther, and I'm super concerned. Maybe not about the way it's shot because of the color, but the way it's they perfect. sort of do the balance and whatever. The first trailer, especially the scene with the car flipping over, I'm like, I'm not seeing enough detail in the blacks like the sort of dark colors on this yeah, I'm not he's, seeing he's wearing his suit but, yeah. yeah but maybe it's, and I'm hoping it's just because they often the give the trailer to yeah. another company to cut and not whoever's working with Kubler on also, the actual film it's edit. also pretty it's, I'm sure like they were still figuring out like a super what, early what effects what style's gonna be yeah because that yeah. trailer yeah. is well in advance of yeah. the, it, the it's one like, step from like temp effects too uh, in that trailer I'm I mean sure. the, the, the trailer is pretty I mean I will say that in, in terms of, I know we're bouncing around everywhere, but in terms of like the pantheon of said. superhero trailers, <laughs> it's a pretty fucking great trailer. It's amazing. It's fantastic. Like, it's amazing. I mean, it's There's like, nothing and wrong that, with music, this. that music is beautiful. Like, uh, <laughs> but every time you see the trailer, you also notice something different. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, like Daniel 
Kahlua, who I didn't see the first time because I was staring. You didn't at, see it the first two times. I, know, I was like, look just at, off to the uh, of at, Michael uh, B. Yeah, Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. So yeah, he pulls a, focus, as Tyler would does. say. Damn, yeah. yeah, no, that, I am very excited about that film. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it too. It's funny. I'm excited about the film as a comic book nerd, nerd self-professed. Well, I professed it for I you, so. I cannot stand reading the books. Even the new ones? The ta Coates ones? I can't stand them. Really? Too much education. <laughs> you know what? I don't want book learning in my comic. I just want to read my... I just want a great story and see great pictures, like great panels. Like, that's all I want. But the thing is, the first uh, few issues, that's what they had. Like, they had some beautiful... That's right. Just panels with, like, very... That's right. ...kind of terse dialogue. I feel like you're right. Like, once it got past, like, kind of issue six... Issue six. It got... <laughs> um, I, I said, I'm super out. wordy. It got super wordy, and that's when I stopped buying like issue by issue and waited for like the compendium. Yeah, and I got like, excited about Roxanne Gay. Yeah, and I just was like, okay, I'm gonna have to come back to this later because it's like I need when I'm reading a book, like a, a comic book, it has to have like a great story and great panels, and it, and it's balanced, right? Like I just was reading Jessica Jones this morning, and it's like. Jessica Jones is a great comic book because it's perfectly paneled with action, with like dialogue and story. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, I think that uh, they talked about that on an episode of some podcast. I don't know if it was Code Switch or something else where they did talk to Ta-Nehisi Coates. And it was before they sort of got to issue six and they talked about how most when they bring a writer into the comic book world it is too wordy mm-hmm. and how he tried to not do that so i don't know what happened if they brought in like sort of other editors or whatever if they just sort of like the original sort of ramp of story uh they it wasn't as sort of edited they didn't have enough time to trim it yeah. down i don't know what I, happened I, I, I don't know. but i had the exact same experience I, as you I, I i just feel like he was too in his head and not enough about like just tell a story like just tell me a really good story about this world with these characters yeah like that's all I want to know I want to know like who Black Panther is and what's happening in his world I don't want to know about all the geopolitical stuff because it's like that's great as set up it's kind of like with, with like the mistake that they always used to make with Wonder Woman like the whole Paradise Island thing or Themyscira thing was always like you know, this it became it became the story, and it's like no. What is an Amazon? An Amazon is a fucking warrior who's cut, who had cut off her breast. So she could shoot. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that's what I want Wonder Woman to be, and it wasn't until I saw Alex Ross do Wonder Woman and Kingdom Come, I feel like that was a seminal moment where everybody up the chain kind of had a rethink about Wonder Woman being the princess of peace mm-hmm. and instead being a warrior. Or even the sideline in Why the Last Man where they had these women who modeled themselves after the Amazons who did cut off one breast. Well, 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 Why the Last Man yeah. is a phenomenal book. Yeah. I mean, it's just okay, like, okay. Like, we're doing... Yeah, you guys are... You guys yeah. are yeah. Right. Don't take me down okay. that route. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're doing a comic <laughs> But under the one of the last changes that I will say that I found to be 
kind of so Toronto charming and one of the things that kind of people from the outside, especially Americans who I feel like some Americans maybe came here this year just to get a taste of our borderline socialism mm-hmm. and almost keep feeding this narrative that Toronto and Canada is somehow better. We have our problems, yeah. but right I'm going to say I, right I'm, happy we're I, better. I'm happy we're I live better. here, all of the complaints aside. But the whole um, thanking the original keepers of this land, the Mississauga, uh, the Haudenosaunee and the Huron-Wendat, instead of the old thing where they used to talk about Bell and RBC and self-wanking about transforming (laughs) the way you see the world through film. Like, (laughs) I feel like that was an interesting change, but also... Um, changes, if you're going to do Vegas odds on who has a chance of, if not being in the number one slot, maybe the new number two slot when they finally have the regime change. Jesse? Indicates, yes, Jesse's on a come up. Yeah, because, I mean, they... Because who else is going to fight for that stuff? But, but they've been doing it at yeah, the light box For before. a minute. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. but they haven't been doing it yeah. the best. You know, on the I new think, number two spot? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think Jesse has a, a, yeah. a great shot at that. Yeah. But the question is, who's going to be number one? Yeah. I mean, and if they bring in a number one from the outside, it's, does... it's troubling to me that they're even doing this global search yeah. for a number, a new number one. I mean, you know, I, I have my own, you know, the ca- Cameron is not perfect, but to me, like Cameron's paid his dues. And he and he and, put in and, the time. And, and, he's a Hillary, and, and, and there's nobody out of that organization. Choice, right? Well, there's no one at that organization. But is he the Hillary in that he won't get it? Would be yeah. better in that spot. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like I, I, I mean, t- for me, the question would be, if I'm if I'm Cameron and I don't get the spot, yeah, do, do you stay? Yeah. What am I doing here? Yeah. Because there's nobody who's more deserving mm-hmm. of that spot, and he, I mean, he knows he first of all he has the institutional memory of the organization. He has, you know, he loves film. He understood, like, like so, so to me, like, like he's very good, at, according to this Globe and Mail article that was just out today, he's very good with the, do- with the, the donors. Um, you know, he knows how to hold a room. So, to me, like, why, like, despite my own personal... Yeah, bring in a new him, number two from the outside that him might... Also, and let him choose his team. Yeah. But also, quite frankly, think about the optics of having a black man be passed over for a job that he seems like he's eminently qualified for in this current environment. I mean, I'm not saying that Tiff is going to do the right thing, but what even if he is not the best choice... Sidebar, have they ever done a Spike Lee retrospective? Because I feel like that's an oversight. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean... When you say sidebar, does that mean like we're not... Well, no, no that's no, staying no, in. Just like, it's just when she said do uh, the right thing at... Yeah, like in the... But yeah, I, I would... If I were Tiff, I wouldn't even be contemplating anybody other than Cameron. Well, no, yeah. it's insulting to even... like. I mean, to me, it's insulting to even suggest yeah. but especially, that they're looking at other people. It's es- him. Especially, except for Jesse now, who is clearly on a behind-the-scenes come-up, there's no other... Like, all other possible candidates, like Noel left mm-hmm. in, like, 2013 or whatever. No, maybe a little but, bit later. But keep in mind, Noel, and, Noel left, came back. Yeah. Came, left again. Yeah, right? and then... Colin just left. He would have been like a, you know, long odd, like a, you know, 10 to 1. But still, he did a lot of interesting stuff. And I talked to a lot of people this year that really miss Vanguard in that 
there was vanguardy stuff in other programs, mm-hmm. but because they didn't have it as a separate program and because I feel like some of the praises this year were not written by uh, the same quality of kind of second level assistant as mm-hmm. they had in the past. None of the movies sounded as, as good, good as, as they it, were. Yeah, like I wanted to make a movie sound better than it was. Yeah, and now movies sounded duller than they actually were. I was like, oh, this is not what I expected yeah. at all. I liked like, everything more than I thought yeah. I would, and I don't think it's because they made great selections. I think it's because they wrote not that great well, pieces. I, I, I know a lot of people who feel like Canadian perspectives should come back. Like, and I, and I, I'm well, not one of those. Well, um, not, <laughs> but I saw way but, more Canadian movies than I normally do this well, year that I really and, liked. And so did I. And, and my whole thing is like, it's not, it's, it's not the idea that every Canadian film in the festival ends up in Canadian perspectives. It's mm-hmm. just simply, this is where you put the first, second time filmmakers who, who are Canadian, who need international attention. Exposure. Yeah. Like and, I saw Les FMA and that won one of the awards and... I don't even like zombie films that much, and it was great. Yeah. It was really good. I saw Don't Talk to Irene, which is Pat Mills' second Kyla film. Did. Loved it. My niece is in that film. Loved it. Oh, really? Yeah, Kyla. She's in that film. It was really good. It was truly enjoyable. Like, that and Public School were both, like, movies that were Canadian. and say Don't Talk to Irene is a little more Canadian because of the cast, but definitely uh, Public Schooled as well was very Canadian. Who directed Uh, It was two white dudes, I don't remember, but uh, that was the one that Judy Greer was in as a lead. There was like a cameo by Russell Peters as kind of like a creepy guidance counselor who wears track pants, which was an interesting wardrobe choice that I asked about in the Q&A. And who else? Grace Park was in that as like a fun, drunk mom, which was nice. Is she from Vancouver? She's from Vancouver, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you see Molly McGuinn's film? Mary Goes Round? No, I didn't see that. No. It's very good. Yeah, but yeah, I would say like the Canadian stuff I saw this year was not even like, oh, this is nice for the red section of the book, but this was like a legit good movie that I liked. my feelings. Yeah. I will say Black Cop. Oh, I loved the lead actor in Black Cop. So so just for one second, Black Cop was like, to me, that was a star-making performance. Yes. Like, that is the kind of performance where if... He is not on a series as a lead or making another movie within the next 12 months. Yeah. There is an issue in our industry. <laughs> yeah. That, but there is an issue. That, that, there is an issue. Yeah. No, but it's just, it was such a, it was a, it, it's, to me, like, that was a definition of a tour de force performance. I tweeted that it was mesmerizing. Yeah. And like, he tweeted back at me, thank you. Because it was not. And then like, I did an audible sploosh. Because I felt like the film. Like, I also felt the film was very well directed. I thought It was Cor- better than I thought it would be. I thought Corey did a really great job yeah. directing the movie. Did not... Like, I had quibbles with the storytelling. Like, I, I... Because I wanted to know more about this guy. I wanted to know more about what was... Ha- like, I want... I actually wanted the incident that causes him to break. Yes. To be more aggressive. Yeah. Uglier. Does it need to be, though? No. But, but here's the thing, though. <laughs> What happens to him in the movie, that's like an everyday thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, like, that's an everyday thing. Well, that's the thing. They didn't indicate enough that there was this ongoing sort of court case that was really more affecting him 
he was already sort of borderline because yeah. of this other incident. That, in terms of storytelling, they didn't tie that well enough. But, like, you understood that if you are aware of just the world right now. But overall, like, yeah, that lead actor's performance was amazing. Yeah, it was yeah. great. I mean, like, we had some really strong Canadian films in the festival. Yeah. But we're going to take a break to wet our whistles because all of our glasses are looking really empty. And then when we come back, we will attempt to stay on topic with what our top one to three films were of TIFF 2017. And we're back, and our glasses are filled, and we're going to focus on our top two films because that's all we have time for before it's time to either stop drinking or drink a lot more. And we're going to start with Mel for what her top two films were of TIFF 2017. Oh, so am I, am I saying both at the same time? Saying both, yeah. Uh, so my number one was Three Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, which uh, went on to win the Audience Award. The uh, Grosch People's Choice Award. <laughs> Formerly the Cadillac yes, People's Choice the Award. the Grosch People's Choice Award. Um, this is the first time in a long time where I have seen and or liked the, uh, the uh, eventual uh, Audience Award winner. Um, and then my second uh, was Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. These are both really long titles, um, but... Uh, Terrible SEO. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, it's like the band Dada. Do you remember that? Yes. Try, try to Google that. Yeah, we um, had to do a workaround on Chapter's website to undo the thing we did to eliminate noise words from search. <laughs> um, um, so, uh, Three Billboards was Martin McDonough's... I don't know if it's his third feature, but it's the third movie... No, it's his fourth, because of Calvary, which I got halfway through. But I loved In Bruges. I did not like Seven Psychopaths. I saw half of Calvary, and I absolutely loved Three Billboards. Um, and both of these guys have seen the movie as well. Um, I think one... So, obviously, it won the, uh, the People's Choice Award, so it's going to go on to... Oscar, maybe Glory. And programmed by My Girl Jane. Oh, was it really? I didn't know You that. betcha. Yeah. I was just double-checking to make sure. But My Girl Jane got another People's Choice Award. Well, one thing that I that I think um, is a misstep, and I've seen the trailer for this movie many times, and the trailer makes me laugh uproariously. It makes it look as though the movie is like Cohen, like one of uh, the Cohen brothers' lighter Farsi movies. And the movie is not That's that at all. Dark, but it is super funny. So. It's funny, but it's way more poignant and way more real and way it's more about rage. But it's also about rage. redemption and about like what it, what does it mean to be good? Can doing something can do can doing one good act make you a good person? Like it's about so much more than the comedy. But I'm wondering though, but are, are you saying that from the point of view because you're seeing it from the point of view of Sam Rockwell's character? Because what what I'm mm-hmm. trying to like like because. No, because... Right, so McDormand's character is a lead, so I'm just mm-hmm. trying to understand... No, because I think the movie ultimately is about... So, what Frances McDormand does is she's, you know, operating from a place of pure grief, but she, in the, in the course of the movie, does terrible things, but... And she's not necessarily, and I'm using scare quotes, but she's not necessarily a good person, but she's someone who's grieving. And I think all of the characters, like even, you know, the Woody Harrelson character who for her is a villain, but when you see him, he's a good man. So I think, uh, you know, and the guy who runs the the sign shop, a very good person. And even the Peter Dinklage character doesn't 
observe and report as a good citizen yes. should. Something bad that happens. That's what I mean. Like I think all of these characters, you know, we we like them, but everybody operates in at least a moral gray area. So I think it really is about what does it mean to be good. But yeah, but but the Sam Rockwell character and he, and the Francis McDormand character at the end of the movie, without giving anything away, their most redemptive thing is something that's not necessarily a good thing, but you're kind of rooting for them to do it. At, at least I was. So, I, I like I agree with you. I'm not. I'm just not sure. I'm like tonally, like thematically, I'm not sure. I'm agreeing with you. But I'm not saying that was only thing. about that. But that's one of the themes. It is about redemption. It's about it's about revenge. It's about regret. It's about but the, I think the imperfectness of of because even you know her daughter is in. I mean, and this is the premise of the movie. Her daughter is murdered, but you know it's very easy to make a movie where they have a wonderful relationship. But yeah. their but their relationship is so messy too. Can I just say though? Let's not give anything away about the plot of this film. Yeah. Because I because I will say what was amazing about and I know this stuff some of the stuff is. But on that's the premise of the movie. That's not. The I, plot I, I know, but 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 what was interesting for me going into the movie and I had and I had seen the trailer and I knew what it was about. What was interesting was to see that how they revealed the information because they don't tell you any of that stuff. They show you it as you're going through the fi- like in the first ten minutes of the, of the film. You start to learn this information out of every scene. Like that's what I loved. I love the scene where she's driving in. You see the billboards that are all like ripped to pieces that no one's used. She's keying in on them, and then you see her go into the place, and the guy says something to her about her daughter, and it's just like, I'm like, wow. I love how smartly this was written because it's all in the moment. There's no exposition. It's all about just revealing things as you're like going, as you're with her the whole time. Or even the different relationship children have with uh, the non-custodial parent. Yeah. And the kid who's older may remember more stuff than the other kid, which makes it problematic uh, for the custodial parent throughout the relationship. So you see uh, her interaction with the one child is very different from the other child who is not to give anything away, but uh, when shit hits the fan is very ride or die in that kitchen in a clutch moment. Mm -hmm. And you see that all these different relationships, everyone is not great. They just act like normal people do in real world situations. Yeah. that's what's interesting, and that's the th- that's that's a flow through for all of these characters is that there's no there's no such thing as a good person or a bad person. You're just reiterating exactly what I said. <laughs> no, no, but I'm just saying, like, but I'm saying like the the point is not so much about like story wise, but it's just the, the the idea that from a character point of view, everybody is complex. Everybody is sh- like everyone has a shading to them. How are you, Everyone's how, messy. Yes, but how are you saying anything different than what because, I said? Because, because you're talking, you were talking about it from a story perspective. Like you were, you were trying to justify it based on what oh, the, I, the plot. P- please explain to me what I was trying well, to explain. No, but, but I'm just telling. Like, but, but that's the no. Thing, I, like, was, I was, I was, you're, you're, te- you're, I was, I was teasing out the themes you know, of the movie from my perspective, yes, but which can never be wrong. Well, no, but you're, 
But you're asking me to say what the difference is between... I, did, I didn't our, ask you anything. Our, you just did. You said, what's, what's different about what you're saying? I love this debate right now. Say the than what I'm saying. The levels yeah, are different. Yeah, but I don't think... Yeah. yeah, so I asked you that, but I don't think... And, and, and what, and I, I don't think what you're what I'm saying, saying to you, I'm, I'm not mansplaining you. I'm just saying what, for me, it was a... It's a I'm, I'm approaching from a character point of view, and you're approaching from a story point of view. That's the difference. Well, I suppose, but the character... But the movie is full of characters who live out these themes. Like, it's... I can't see how, how we're separating the two in order to make these. Yeah, get out of here, doll. <laughs> um, I, 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 I mean, maybe Petula can be the arbiter, but I don't feel like we're saying different things. I think I'll decide later, A, if I have the energy to edit out part of this, and B, if it's worth it, or if the debate actually shows. I think that the fact that we all think we like it for slightly different reasons, although all those reasons may be the same, is the reason why it won people's choice. Because it was able to be good things to many people yes. depending on their uh, approach yeah. uh, to a, a film. I'll make a prediction right now. Screenplay, oh, yeah. best actress, supporting actor, maybe two supporting actors, Abby Cornish will prevent this film from being nominated for best You picture. keep on saying that and I don't find that true. Like, she is so much not... Like, she is a minor character. I don't see how she's going to... But I feel like the other magic characters did a better job, and I, I wish I knew the names of the, you know, black friend and oh, yeah. the other guy at the bar, but I feel like yeah. they did a much better oh, yeah. job with but, much less to do. No, fair no fair enough, but I don't think that her performance, like Floyd posits that her performance is so bad. That it was like, weird, though. Cool. Even her accent, like, was she supposed to be from somewhere else? Was she supposed well, to be from there? Well, no, I didn't she's understand that. Australian. My thing was yeah. that maybe she was an Australian woman who lived in the South for a while, yeah. and that explained her regionally very non-specific accent. And they didn't spend any time. But then I also think that Woody Harrelson's character was so charismatic, you could sort of see. Him getting a woman that young? Mm hmm yeah. And throwing some babies in her? But she didn't seem as though she came from the same place as everybody else. <laughs> True enough. But, but, but what I'm saying is that her role is so insignificant in the grand scheme of things that she's not going to stop it from being nominated for Best Picture. That I, gives her way more I power than she actually has. I liked it if his wife was at least 35. Michelle Monaghan. And had an accent. But how do we know she's not... I don't know. We can look her up. We can look her up, but I don't know. Like, uh, let's say the old thing of half your age plus seven. I feel like if we do the math on Woody and Abby, I don't know if those numbers add up. We can do that uh, post. But I, but I, look, I personally feel Podcast? like, like, that'll be the thing that prevents, like, because I, I just feel like, you know, and, and I'm trying not to be facetious about it, but as I was watching the movie, I thought... 35. Okay. She's 35, exactly. Yeah. Oh, and have, how old is uh, uh, Woody? Like, as of I August, guess he's... As of August 7th, so 60? when she filmed it, she was 34. Is he yeah. 60? Um, he I don't know. 60. I don't know. Isn't that old? Cheers was on a long time ago. But he was young on Cheers. Yeah. I'm going to go with 54, but I have no idea. I mean, you know, look, I, I just think, like, in my opinion, in a film filled with perfect performances. Yes. Perfect performances. Everything was perfect. Like, I mean, like, Even like the, the writing was amazing. The, the ending was great. What's the name of the kid that, uh, the, the, the billboard office. Oh, oh the, yeah. Uh, what's his name? You, like, K- Caleb Landry Jones. Yes. Who I've hated in everything. everything. I loved him. It was, that's orange juice scene. That was the closest I came to crying. Yeah. And the Woody Harrelson letters, you know, the two yeah. times where I came closest to crying. Okay, so at the risk of being accused of mansplaining again, oh. I would like 
would can we talk about your number two? Oh, um, why are you going to mansplain that to me? No, no, we just want to sure. hear about it. Oh, uh, yeah, my number two is um, Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. All right. Which um, is a film about the creator of Wonder Woman and his polyamorous relationship with two women. Um, the movie starts in 1928 and goes up to about 1945. And it was marvelous. It was the most sweet, romantic, sincere, earnest film about a three-way couple that I've ever seen. Um, and I knew a little bit about the story because I I've been calling it, it a thruple. Oh yeah, like thr thruple? Like Is that sure. a word? Can we make that happen? But it was like, but ultimately it was, it was interesting because it's, I, I'm surprised a little bit by the title of the movie because there is like, um, and to me, um, the movie has three leads, but I mean Rebecca Hall is so magnetic that to me she is the she's like the center of that movie. Whenever she's in a scene, you can't take your eyes off of her. Um, so I'm curious as to why it's called Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. It's based I, on a book. I felt is like it based on a book. The first act was very much from the professor's POV. Mm -hmm. The second act was from Rebecca Hall. Hall's POV, yeah. and then the third, third act was from yeah. Yeah. Um, so it shifts. Bella Heathcote. Yeah. yeah. The book was published last year. It's based on it's based on that book. It's the book of the same title. Yeah. Okay, then that's then that's fair enough. But it makes it seem as though the movie is 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 his movie, and it very much is a three hander, and all three hands are doing something, not to somebody else. But it was a, yeah, it was a it was a surprise. I didn't choose it initially. Um, it just um, I had a blank um, the hole in my schedule, so I chose it, and I was actually very very uh, captivated by it, and I've. I know a couple of other people who saw it, um, not not in this room, who absolutely loved it too. It was just it was it was just so sweet. Okay, so this one was programmed by Cameron Bailey. Oh, correction. The book was actually called uh, "The Secret History of Wonder Woman." Uh huh. So they threw the pin up front uh, yeah. for Thanks I for don't know that wrong. reasons. Uh, oh. And interesting. Overall. Well, this is another one where the precy in the picture in the book is just, it makes it look like there's some sort of antagonistic, and there is conflict, as there would yeah, be in any trouble. Yeah. But I feel like this year, the program book, for the first time, really let me down, where I was able to look back on movies that I picked just based on the picture and know I really like this. Because that picture this is, is the, exactly uh, the opposite of what the movie is about. There are a million other stills that you yeah. could have picked from this, including the, you know... Outfit trying on one. Oh yes, or that could have been shot from behind, where you see them coming in, yeah. seeing her, and yeah. the, like. There's so many other shots that they could have had that could have made somebody pick this movie with nothing but the picture, which yeah. is how the program book normally works. That makes for it look me. like a love triangle. The way they write about it in circle. here, and the way the picture looks in the program book, it's yeah. just it's another fail this year that I find. It's not hard to find sort of low-level second assistants who can do at least good pricey writing. I understand they have challenges with staffing other roles based on what they're willing to pay people, but this is one of the jobs where I feel like if, you know, the Alamo can rehire a known alleged sexual offender, oh, why can we not find, you know, a handful of good Canadian kids to write some good pricies? Whatever. Uh, but I hope the movie back finds an audience it. because it is the year of the film Wonder Woman and she's back in the popular uh, imagination. So, As they said in the Q&A, it yeah. certainly helped them make the movie. Yeah. When is the film coming out? Uh, I do not know. 
But it's come. I saw a. This was one that only. It's the end of the year. It did have Canadian distribution and U.S. distribution, but they didn't have a hard date when people asked about it. Posters and trailers already. Yeah, and and I saw it online, and I was so I I just before I chose it as a film, I saw it um, somewhere online, an article about it, and a little bit of uh, background on it. So I would I, I. before the end of the year? Here's the thing. In an episode I recorded with, and I forget if it was uh, the one I did with Jay or Aaron pre or during the festival, I did say going in, I just want to see some rope sex. And I feel like it delivered on that rope promise. Rope sex? Yes. Yeah, there, there was some rope sex. It delivered on that promise. That's a very oddly specific thing to... Catherine Brillat didn't have some festival that she... She's so boring. Called rope sex? No, she didn't have one. Of um, you would have got a lot of rope sex. No sex yeah. to rope because she's a Frenchie. Yeah. So... Uh, Floyd, we're going to move to you. Your top two films. Um, well, I loved Ebbings. Right. Um, I loved Ebbings. Why we all chimed Um, in on that one. But, uh, I would say Hostiles by Scott Cooper was fucking brilliant. And I did not see that, so I'd love to hear um, more without spoiling. Well, essentially it's about, it's, it's set in the 1800s after the wounded knee and it's about a soldier having to being asked to take a an, an Indian chief who is suffering from cancer back to his traditional his home to die with his family and West Studi plays the Indian chief Adam Beach plays his son uh, Adam Beach, I love Adam Christian Beach. Christian Bale is the lead, and Rosamund Pike plays this woman whose whole family is killed by uh, uh, natives in the at the very beginning of the film. This is a movie full of people I like. Um, it's a fantastic movie. There's been a lot of criticism about the the portrayal of indigenous people and it being one note and the reality is that yeah it is <laughs> that's a true criticism of the film mm. um, but I would say the exception to that is the West Studi character who I think is I think first of all I think West Studi is incredible in the role um, I think Christian Bale is incredible and I think the, the layer the layer of racial and cultural politics is extremely interesting in that film because Christian Bale's right hand in the film is this black guy. And it's programmed by peers. And when you see the and when you see the black soldier and his interaction with the indigenous folks, it's a very like there's just this interesting unspoken subtext that's happening in these relationships that I, I, I personally found fascinating and I loved where the film got, like where the film took me in terms of this whole notion of how when you are, I mean, you know, it's an age old thing, right? When you're at war, you don't see people as individuals. You don't, they're just an adversary and that's all you see and that's all you experience and your job is to destroy them. You don't think of them as human. And it goes both ways, and it's like it's it's a very interesting film, which I would urge lots of people to see just to have a discussion about it, because I think it's a great film to have 
a conversation about it. Did it get bought here? Because it only has a sales agent listed. Yeah, it has, it, I don't think it has been purchased yet. Wow, with all those big names. It, it's it's a very good movie. Um, and then and then like I would say I, I saw a film. It's it's a bit of a tie because I saw Glenn Close and The Wife with the. Uh, oh, what's his name? The actor. Uh, he was the. The High Sparrow. Jonathan Price. Yes. Um, playing husband and wife, which, like, phenomenal, Glenn, like, phenomenal, two phenomenal performances. Like, they were, it was fucking brilliant. Um, but I saw a film called A Season in France. Okay, now, okay, we're not doing four movies, Floyd. Okay, so amazing. what, is yeah, that your number two? No, he's... A Season in France is like... His number two was actually uh, Hostels. No, I, I, not, I didn't say that. You said Hostels. You talked about Evans. I said I liked Evans. Evans was your number, number one. one. Hostels was number two. And now you've got a three and four. So okay, let's just stop. Let him talk about Season of France. No, that's not. Programmed by Cameron. <laughs> and <laughs> directed by a gentleman named oh. Mohamed Saleh Arum. And has a bunch of people who I never heard of before. But it was one of the few that I almost picked based on the picture. Oh, great photo. Yeah. It's, it's, such a, it's such a warm movie that balances, like, light and bleak moments. And yet, it also ends... It's like the French never want to give you a happy ending. It's like they will, like, do everything in their power to give you an ending that is either indifferent, oblique... Or tragic, and it's like I'm like fuck. Like just give me a happy ending. <laughs> That's what he said. And, <laughs> <laughs> and this was like, and, and it's that, never not funny. And this movie was so wonderful, and I just I just wanted a happy ending. But <laughs> it gave me, it gave me the ending that you deserve, not that you wanted. It gave me the ending that is real, mm-hmm. right? Because it's about like African refugees living in France after the the uh, bombing. That's blue balls of life, really. So, it was just, it, it's a fantastic movie. I, I hope people get to see it. Alright, well I saw a lot of great stuff, and I'll probably talk about these in subsequent episodes, but <laughs> as uh, time is running down, I also would say, and I did say uh, publicly via the Twitter, that Three Eppings was my favorite, even before the festival was over. But we've exhausted that one. <laughs> so my number two, with a caveat that there's obviously some bias, because other friend of the show, Mary, worked on this as a second assistant in the editing uh, department, was Shape of Water by Guillermo del Toro. However, I uh, would say that in terms of his work, I am not, you know just coming late to the party, I legit loved Pacific Rim, probably more than most people do. And even when there was some talk of him doing Pacific Rim 2, even though that ended up going to somebody else, he allegedly had some meetings with uh, Macy uh, from Game of Thrones and was saying, get this girl in a Jaeger. That may have been one of his tweets. I just, yeah. Can you imagine? The tiniest little Jaeger in the world. I know. But yeah, I just, I like what he does because he's more about the aesthetics. And I, I assume that he's I love not. Yeah, he's definitely not a 
maybe director's filmmaker, but he's definitely a art director's filmmaker. He's definitely a set designer's filmmaker. He's a costume designer's filmmaker. He creates environments, and I think this story that allegedly organically came out of conversations with some of his collaborators is kind of the perfect meaning of his attention to aesthetics and his sensibility and he was able to bring these sort of relationships between people to this fantastic tale and make you really feel something and this was the first film of the festival where I had to actually dig in my purse for tissues and that's kind of my like Lion last year was one of those films where you know, not did only did I cry, but I didn't expect to cry that much. I wasn't expecting to cry at all in Shape of Water. I don't expect to cry in Guillermo films. I expect to be startled, sort of visually entertained, maybe even scared once or twice, but I don't expect to cry. Um, so whenever he does those emotional moments, they actually catch me by surprise and they seem to hit harder. And, you know, back to Pacific Rim, the scene where you have almost like a mini kind of uh, anime short film that's in live action with the flashback when it ends with the little girl having a moment that I, I believe all people truly have when they see Idris Elba in the flesh for the first time of just awe, awe and gratitude. Oh. But yeah, like that moment really hits you hard in a film that maybe is not as delicately crafted as this, but I feel like Shape of Water, you have not just the main story, but there's like a sub, kind of like a B plot with the, or C plot with the Richard Jenkins character of a man, an older gentleman who's, you know, lonely and never found love and is still trying but like so many people, there isn't a Hollywood ending to that. And you have the story when Guillermo was talking about in the Q&A, he kind of talked about how one of the things that they thought about when they were coming up with this movie was, uh, what's the point of view of kind of the support staff in one of these environments? Like the people who clean up in the office in a Hellboy type space like what do they see what do they observe from what little they know about what's going on and what are their lives like and even that like you get to see kind of like that uh i love new yorkish episode of master of none this yeah. season that's what you get with the octavia spencer and sally uh, hawkins characters you see their inner lives and not just what's happening with the main characters in your other Guillermo movies. And yeah, it was just beautiful. The performances were amazing. It looked great and I truly enjoyed it. And I went into the festival as this being one of the ones I was look most looking forward to. And it was the rare festival where that one still ended up in my top five, where so often the movie that I'm most looking forward to going in isn't the one that I'm most into at the end of it but yeah it I just found it charming and I think I want to see it again and it's coming out soon right yeah yeah like actually no it was originally coming out sooner but because of the response I think from other festivals they pushed it to be more an award season so I think it's coming out later in December now oh okay yeah I think after it won the Golden Lion 
uh, Venice that they pushed it back a little bit. And Professor Martian's coming out October 17th, so really, really soon. Yeah. Did either of you guys see Shape of Water? No. Yeah, so I I would say, see, don't watch, if you can, if you haven't already watched a trailer, don't watch any of the trailers. The trailers give away way too much. I saw the trailer, but I couldn't make any sense of it. Well, that's good. Don't watch it again. Everybody's seen it one time. Yeah, don't watch it again. And if you hate Guillermo stuff, then it might not be for you, but if you've liked some of the more... Uh, esoteric? Uh, the mix of esoteric with like good storytelling. Like sort of, if you think of the moments in the maze in Pan's Labyrinth, if you think of the kind of confluence of his look and feel with like actual feels, that's where this movie has more of that than I would say most of his other stuff. Where there's always like a feels moment or a couple feels moment, but this one really hits you... And stays there. It's hard to go wrong with Sally Hawkins and Octavia Spencer. Yeah. And Richard, Richard Jenkins. Jenkins. Like, I mean... <clears throat> and Michael Shannon yeah. is, you know... I actually was having lunch at Luma, and they were all there having their their lunch, their feral lunch. I was like, in awe. Yeah, do they just all look happy? And yeah. Yeah, because like when you're in like the hype shit, and you know you're in something good... Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, I'm imagining it's a lot different. Even for, you know, Mary, who's worked on a lot of stuff over the years, you know, for her, she was just like, it's so weird to work on something that was, like, this good, it's and good, people yeah. like it, and it's exciting. Yeah. What did you see that you liked? What else did you see that you liked? Oh, my God. Well, I saw so much. I, I really did like uh, all of the documentaries I saw. I will say the one that I was most surprised about enjoying was the Carter Effect because I'm neither oh, a yeah, big Raptors fan yeah. nor a big Vince That's Carter fan. Movie. And first of all, that movie was just an hour and late in the festival... Is, is that an hour? Perfect. I had it on the Friday. Was it paired with something else? Nope. An hour in and out. It started at 9.45 whole, and I was... It cost a whole ticket? It was good. <laughs> it was good. Okay, well, it was really good, and the Q and A uh, with the director Sean Menard was one of the most entertaining Q and A's since an old timey uh, Steve McQueen Q and A. Not he wasn't that <laughs> he wasn't that acerbic, but there was a Shut lot those of haters down. did you did you reach out to Babcock? Did you talk to Hakeem Olajuwon? Did you talk to Lonzo Morning? He's like, how about you ask me about any of the people that were in it the is, movie? Yeah. He's like, listen, one of my producers was LeBron James. Almost everyone we called picked up the phone, at least, when he called them to say, will you be a talking head in this? But yeah, it it made me understand also um, the long-term effects that Vince Carter had on Toronto, including the fact that he was one of the uh, fathers of bottle service. He was an investor in a club in the early days, and... Yeah, I would love to speak to him about that. They, I was going to say, you're saying that like it's a positive thing. Oh, well, I'm saying it helped It helped Hennessy. Or even, you know, the whole OVO Fest and the timing of it being mm-hmm. around Caravan and Weekend. Like, he used to do his charity game mm-hmm. at the same time in the summer near Caravan and Weekend. And that would bring all of these sort of, you know, Americans of color up to yeah. Toronto not just during you know regular basketball season, but during the summer when yeah. the city is obviously more welcoming to people who don't want to have to wear Canada Goose everywhere they go, and you know a lot of his work and even his departure from the team that was framed in a way by the media at that time as the way it is with any player. You hear some of the other players talk, and they're all very careful, even though almost all of them are retired, about what happens when a organization's 
going to trade a marquee player is they start to leak certain information to make it seem like the person is disgruntled or an issue or aggressive or whatever, all these things. So they frame this narrative in the media before they trade them and it you see sort of Vince's mom talk about the trade. He uh, still super classy avoids getting, you know, pretty angry about it. But I went in that movie just thinking I put this documentary into Phil slot and I actually left it feeling like I learned something about him. I learned something about kind of the evolution of the city on kind of like the public perception of Toronto and also like really enjoyed it. And yeah, so it was, I think I was surprised by a lot of things I saw, but that was one of the ones that I was most surprised by. Uh, the breadwinner I really liked, uh, but it's that kind of typical animation where it's a, you know, a dark subject, but it's beautifully drawn, but you have like a female lead. It's definitely the kind of thing that would be nominated for an Academy Award, but will be, unfortunately, I hope not, but probably inevitably beaten by some sort of Pixar or Disney production but I'm sure it will be a close second on everyone's ballots who bothers to see it. And uh, number one, which was a French film, I enjoyed because it had one of the craziest Q&As I'd been in in a while, uh, where the whole premise of the movie is about a woman becoming a CEO of a Fortune whatever company, like the French equivalent of Fortune 500, but it in the Q&A... A gentleman asked without any hint of irony, but what about the men? And, but here's the thing, and he went on in a very kind of like Reddit thread MRA kind of line of thinking. The way the director answered him was so classy and patient. I almost feel like this guy was like real life trolling, like he was recording it maybe and wanted her to say a bunch of stuff that he could then post, but she was so understanding and classy. Uh, her name is Tony Marshall. And at some point, even somebody from the audience started chirping, um, basically just tell him whatever. And she said, but if we don't try to, you know, have a conversation, yeah. understand each other, how will we ever, you know, grow together? And just in that way that, you know, French women are so classy and make you feel real dumb. And... Yeah, it was one of those movies where there was an actual conversation in the audience and you sort of see, first of all, why did you pick this movie, dude, if you felt that way? Um, Also, another gentleman, you know when people thank people for the film or compliment them on the film? Mm -hmm. A dude well actually her when complimenting. He's like, this was actually a good film. That's when I first made friends with a stranger sitting next to me that we ended up having three drinks after just to talk about the (laughs) Q&A. Because we looked at each other like, did he just? Yeah, I I don't know why people feel that it's... it's, Like, why are you so surprised? Why is it important to tell everybody, well, actually, I like the... But even the tone. Like, it wasn't a thank you so much or whatever. It was like a... They're surprised. Good job, lady. I thought this would be terrible. Yeah, and it was, and again, it was like a first half of the week film. Like, most of those tend to be slightly higher caliber. But yeah, it was, that was one of the ones where I picked it probably because of reasons in my classification system, and I, like, truly enjoyed it. And I will say, overall, this festival, in terms of, like, you know, head nods. What was the worst film? And, like, one in Slate. Speaking of, well, actually, let's, we're going to have to wrap it up. No, but hold on. What was the worst film that you saw? It's... 
Let's take that offline, shall we? Yeah. I mean, the original mandate of the podcast was to try to be positive. So I'm going to say, honestly, looking at my selections, I didn't see that much bad. I saw things that maybe did not meet expectations, mm. but my expectations were so low this year. It's almost <laughs> not fair. Well, that's not saying much. <laughs> and they were so low and they still yeah. disappointed you. But I feel like you want to share the one that you dislike the most, so please do, Floyd. Well, I was disappointed in Kings. Yeah. What a fucking surprise! Why are you saying the I, worst, the movie that looked like the worst movie they programmed was bad? It's by the director of Mustang who was nominated for an Oscar yes, last year. Yes, but in it and she's like, shitty. Yeah, but Killing of a Sacred Deer, I didn't hear many people say good things about that, and that was Yorgos Lanthimos, and everyone loved The Lobster. Yeah, actually, I actually dropped that movie. So well, I think people were turned off by the subject matter of that yeah. film. Well, I think... It's dark. But the, so was, uh, the thing that tipped me off, though, was so, that one was so programmed by my least favorite programmer. Oh. So yeah. I was like, oh, it's Yorgos Lanthimos. And then I saw her program, yeah. and I was like, yeah, you know they, what? They each other at. Pause. Yeah. But back to you. So you just didn't enjoy performances, story, cinematography, structure. It's a essentially American story being told through the lens of a non-American filmmaker. <clears throat> and it's the way that she chooses to tell it is tonally all over the place. Here's my question. Do you think, and what I thought when I was flipping through the book and I read the premise of that, I felt like it should be a uh, Ryan Murphy eight episode oh, TV yeah. series as opposed to yeah. that. That's interesting. Um, I didn't have that thought, but I, anything, like, I, I would agree, like, anything could be, Ryan Murphy's, like, kicking it, but, I mean, I just felt that it was, the film started in a really fantastic way, like, I was fully invested in it, and her casting of the younger actors was really great, but it just kind of, careened off the rails about 15 minutes into it. And That's I, really early. And you were left kind of, and you were right. left kind of thinking, once again put to the test. Why would you, like, it's just, it's just the things that she chose to, how she chose to tell the story. It, it, like, I mean, there's this really weird dream sequence sex scene between Daniel Craig and Halle Berry at a certain point in the film where you're kind of like, why is this in this film right now? Oh, and this was the director of Mustang. Yes, that, did, that was just last year, wasn't yes. that? Or the year before? Two years ago, yeah. So I'm like, why? Like, I don't understand this. But I would not ever want to see a movie about the LA riots told by the director of Mustang. That's just nothing that ever, with Halle Berry and Daniel Craig, that would be a hard dough for me. And, and Halle Berry basically plays the worst foster mother Ever. That's why she lost Isaiah. In this. <laughs> You're really getting deep. That's why she lost that, Isaiah. That, oh my God. That's Even though he was a natural born. That's son, a but candidate you know, for episode she's title. A poor, she's a poor. She's a poor mother. Who's a poor sir? A poor mother. Oh. So yeah, I'm gonna say that. In terms of things that, did not meet my expectations, really. The only one was the third murder. 
And I picked that one because it's the same director who did Afterlife, which is one of my top films of all time. But, it's a Japanese film? Yeah, but it's in the master's program, which is a program you need to watch out for because it's sort of your established kind of statesman type folk. And I say statesmen on Man, purpose. Yeah, because we're with Sozial Was the merchants in that category? I don't think so. But... Uh, is that the It yeah. was one that... I forgot what I loved about Afterlife was the very kind of muted performances, mm-hmm. which works for the premise of that film, but in a drama that has kind of a courtroom aspect and other things, it's a bit... It's not what I'm expecting as a North American film goer. Mm-hmm. I think there's an audience for this worldwide. I just don't think that... And that's a problem. That was the problem even with me going to Three Billboards. Why I almost didn't pick it is I thought I loved In Bruce so much. There's no way I'm going to like this movie with this weird long title as much. I almost didn't pick this because I'm like, I love Afterlife so much. There's no way I'm going to like this movie as much. And in one of those cases, I was right. So, you know, it's hard uh, when you have these directors that create something sort of so unique uh, that's a true experience, and then you're like, I'm going to watch anything they do. That's almost dangerous sometimes. And again, as we were talking about with yours, like the most, you know, there's people who love The Lobster that I'm sure went to mm-hmm. Killing of Sacred Deer this year. They were like, okay, so this weird sort of direction with line yeah, readings that have no affect yeah. and... Whatever, like, this doesn't work for everything. And I'm struggling with this and this other premise. So, you know, it's a challenge for, I feel like, people who see five movies or less. I don't feel like I'm taking as many risks when I'm seeing almost 30 because if I see one that's not that great, well, guess what? On that day, I still have probably two more movies. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I hate seeing a terrible movie, and I hate seeing a movie that's, like, just okay. Because I feel like Netflix is, like, stacked with movies that are just okay. Oh, yeah. So in the words of Halle Berry and Monsters Ball, you just want to feel something? Uh-huh. Yeah. Just make me feel something. (laughs) (laughs) I think we should stop recording right there, but the conversation will continue uh, with much more profanity and alcohol, listener, and you won't get to hear any of it, but... Hopefully at some point before TIFF 2018, we'll get to have a friend of the show, Floyd, back. Uh, Floyd, what are you working on now? What is your production company working on now? Would you like to plug anything? Or do you um, want to just keep We have a film coming up that's premiering at the Urban World Film Festival in uh, on Saturday, actually this week, called Brown Girl Begins, uh, directed and written by Sharon Lewis. And we just locked picture on a film co-directed by uh, Marie-Hélène Cousineau and Michelle DeRosier uh, that will be, uh, that we just locked this afternoon that's, that we're hoping to apply to Sundance with. So, yeah. And if any of you missed uh, Floyd's film that he was also a producer on, Gene of the Joneses, that will also be re-airing at the Lightbox as part of their fall series of programming. So look for that as well. Because awesome. that, that's a great film, film with a lot of black ladies. Yeah. yeah. And Mel, uh, we didn't get to talk to you much before the festival, but you're going to be back as uh, my regular co-host. Yes, life sometimes 
moves pretty happens. fast. Yeah, so, uh, uh, yeah, uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it's officially fall in a couple of days, so I feel like uh, I'll, be, I'll be back. Yeah, so for... Or something l- going away. So for... <laughs> so, after that, I'll be back. So for the listener who likes to just listen to the sound of two ladies talking for yes. whatever hashtag reasons, uh, we'll have Mel back as our regular once we get past a Canadian Thanksgiving time. Frame. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. That is true. All right. And thanks, everyone. And I'm going to fill my drink again. Bye. Bye.